Okay, so we are in a series that we've been doing for the last few weeks on participating in God's story. And it's not just um, a series that we're doing at the start of the year, it's actually the theme for this year as well. So if you were uh, doing the study with us last year on the Path Guide, you'd know that participating in God's story is this opportunity for us to partner with God. It's this opportunity for us to be part of the story that God has been writing since the very beginning. We have this opportunity to carry out the work that God has in store for us, and a big part of that involves evangelism. So Pastor Simon introduced this theme to us using Jesus' words in Matthew 4:19. He said, "Come follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people." And those are Jesus' first words to his disciples, and his last words given to them after his resurrection are essentially the same thing. He says, "Go and make disciples of all nations." All right, so Jesus' life is bookended by these words that give us an idea of what's expected of us as disciples. So what's required to participate in God's story is that it would be people who would share the gospel. We would be people who would tell others about Jesus, about who he is and what he's done for us. And so our hope in telling people the gospel story is that they would respond to that with trusting, repenting, and choosing to follow Jesus for themselves. Because when people respond to that message with trust, with that faith and obedience, it brings about salvation. That is the gospel message in its simplest terms. Jesus leads to our salvation. And part of participating in God's story is our human effort to tell other people that message. And so while the, the thought of evangelism sounds a bit confronting for a lot of us, the good news is that you're not expected to do this on your own. So God tells us to work together with the other Christians that he's placed in our lives to reach other people, to tell that gospel message. God's plan of redemption involves all of us, the church, working together to reach all the people around us. And so as part of that, and part of that, we're told, will be achieved when the world simply observes how we live together and interact with one another. So the New Testament tells us that people will look at the church, there's people who have chosen to follow Jesus, and they'll be struck by what they see. They'll see something that they haven't seen anywhere else in the world. There would be something compelling that would make them look deeper into this community that is so different from the world around it. So the tension here lies in whether there is something compelling about the way that we live together. Is there something compelling about the way that you live your life? And if there is, is it noticeable? You know, are people able to, to look at that and do they have the opportunity to see how you live your life? Or are these things maybe hidden? So a good way to gauge that might be to ask, when was the last time somebody asked you about your faith? If people aren't asking you about your faith or about the community that you're a part of, then it might suggest that there either isn't something compelling about the way you live your life, or there is something compelling, but it's hidden from view. People don't have the opportunity to be invited in and experience that for themselves or witness it. And so that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at what it is that makes our community so compelling and how that is designed for a way for us to proclaim the gospel. That is a way for our church community, a powerful way for our church community to do evangelism. So I want to look at some, some verses that look at exactly what that's all about. So I'm going to start with John 13, verses 34 to 35. 
There we go. So Jesus says that our community should be a picture of his love. It says this. It says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So this is Jesus. He's talking to his disciples. And he's saying, love each other as much as I've loved you. Love each other with this sacrificial love, encouraging each other, serving each other, being willing to suffer alongside each other. You know, there will be something different in your gathering, something that the world will be compelled to look into. And it does make me wonder, every time I read this verse, how many churches are known for how much they love one another. And I can think of plenty of churches that are known for lots of other attributes. They're great music, they're rock star preaching, they're entertainment, right? So, but how many are known for how much they love each other? And I'd argue it's probably a fairly short list. And when I talk to people who are looking for a church and ask them about their experiences, a lot of people will tell me things like, oh, I really enjoyed this church because the music was great. Or I loved this church because they had a kids uh, program. You know, I've, I've had people tell me things like um, the preaching was really funny, so that's why I came back. They had free coffee there. Those were good reasons to pick a church to go to. Um, and for a lot of people, those are normal reasons, but it's not exactly a picture of love. So people are, aren't drawn to those places because of the sacrificial love that they experience. They were drawn there because of the entertainment, perhaps, or the services that were being made available. And I have to admit that for a time, it's exactly what I looked for in a church. When I first moved to Canberra, I shopped around for a church. Right? I visited lots of different churches and I saw what they had to offer me. Right? So I, I wanted preaching that was entertaining. I wanted them to sing the songs that I liked to sing. I weighed up how convenient the church was to get to. Those were the things that were important to me. And when I went to a Sunday service, I left as soon as it was over because that's all it was to me at that time. It was a, a two-hour show on a Sunday. But what's interesting is that where I ended up staying was somewhere that really challenged my view of what church was altogether. They offered me actually something more than what I was expecting. Where I found myself was a place where people were really intentional about getting to know me. They didn't want me just to turn up for two hours on a Sunday. They wanted me to be part of their community. They wanted me to be part of their family. And so, at first, it was a, a simple invitation to share a meal together or study the Bible together. But that quickly opened the door to receive support and encouragement from them. You know, it also created this opportunity to, for me to see how they sacrificed for each other, were there for each other in times of need, how they served alongside each other. It was a love that I had never experienced outside of my own family, right? There's no you know, social club, no sporting team where I'd experienced that kind of love before. I didn't witness it uh, with my colleagues at work. I didn't see it with my other friends. It was very unique. And so what I experienced, I believe, was the kind of love that Jesus talks about in this verse. You know, Jesus, that sacrificial love that Jesus is talking about, the group of people who, who loved each other with that sacrificial love of Jesus. And the purpose is clear. So Jesus tells us in this verse, our love for one another will prove to the world that we are his disciples. That's the purpose. And for me, that experience was compelling. 
it drew me in and I wanted more of it. And the effect that it had on me was that it transformed me. I became the kind of person that, that wanted to love like Jesus did too. You know, I wanted to serve alongside those people. I wanted to lift them up. I wanted to be there to encourage them, rejoice when they were rejoicing and suffer when they were suffering. You know, I wanted to be part of that community. Um, and when I look at Jesus' words here, I see that this is pretty much his strategy for evangelism. You know, this, the church, this community of disciples, will proclaim the gospel to the world by loving each other as much as he loved us. You know, the, the world will see this and be compelled by how much we love each other. And so our love for each other is a powerful tool for evangelism. And Jesus also says a similar thing about our unity. So the next example here comes from the prayer that Jesus prayed on the night that he was betrayed. So in John 17, Jesus prays for his disciples to be protected from the hostile world around them, and he prays that they'll be made holy by God's truth. And then he says these words in verses 20 to 23. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be they will all be one, just as you and I are one. And you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So, interestingly, Jesus didn't just pray for his disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in him through their message. So, in other words, Jesus prayed for us. Right? And specifically, he prayed that we would experience perfect unity. There would be no division among us. Those things that divide people in the world, like social status, your background, political affiliations, what, whatever it is, those things don't divide you here. We aren't just this loosely related group of people. When we made that commitment to follow Jesus, we became brothers and sisters. Right? And when we did, we also signed up to participate in God's story. And that's part of what unites us. And again, this has a purpose. Notice that Jesus' prayer here assumes that our life together as Christians won't be hidden from view. Our unity is something that the world would be able to see. And it's designed to demonstrate to the world the truth about who Jesus is and show the world how much he loves us. And I think it's amazing that Jesus believed that the unity of the church would communicate all of this to the world. Right? So often we can get hung up on what evangelism is and what it looks like and be confronted by the fact it might... You know, look like talking to people, strangers on the street and that kind of thing. Um, we might think that we need this long list of good arguments to, to bring up at a good time and, and debate with people as to why we have faith and that kind of thing. But a strategy for evangelism is simply showing people our unity with each other and with God. And when I think about these words, look, I have to admit that some of the most convincing arguments I've heard from people who don't believe um, are those where they point to divisions in the church. Right? They point to the church 
um, as, and its disunity as a cause for their disbelief. So how could they possibly believe that God is real and with us when the church itself is in disarray? And this really highlights to me how important it is for us to demonstrate this unity and to fight for it. It's so important, not letting those things that would divide people in the world divide us here, not being a people who succumb to gossiping, not letting any unwholesome words come out of our mouths, only those that are good for building up. And so in these verses that we've looked at so far, there are two main points that Jesus is really drawing our attention to. The church should be characterised by how much its people love each other and also its unity. But that doesn't mean our focus is entirely inward. There's one more example I want to give you here. Um, this is, there's this image of the church that Jesus uses in Matthew 5 that, that captures what the church should look like to the outside world. So this is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. He says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. All right, so there's this image of the church. It's like a city on a hilltop. So it's a city. It's this thriving community of people all working together. It's built on a hill. It's in a place where everyone can see it from all around. And it's also an image of safety. It's a place that people can retreat to in their time of need. And its light shines out. It has the power to dispel the darkness from around it. You know? And what this tells me is that our focus is not inward. We might live in the midst of a threatening environment. We might feel like we're persecuted or under attack or whatever it might be, but we're called to be more like a lighthouse than a bomb shelter. Right? We're not called to hide from the world, but we're instead called to guide people safely through it. And so Jesus says that that light that shines out from us, this beacon that people would be attracted to, is our good deeds. And he's talking about the things that arise from our love for one another and our unity. Right? He could have said, let your love for each other and your unity shine out so that others can experience it. And our church life has the potential to become very introverted. You know, and if we consider things like our Sunday service or our connect group, our social events to be private events, then the world might never know how much we love each other. And they might not ever be able to see the kind of unity that we experience here. And they might not have the opportunity to, to witness those things. But Jesus' desire for us is that that wouldn't be the case. He's saying we can't form these cliques or these tightly formed groups of friends or hide ourselves away from an unbelieving world. Jesus said we should be known for our love and he prayed for our unity. Right? And what that means is that we have to focus on loving and serving one another. But we need to be doing that in such a way that the world can see what we're doing, recognise it as an image of love and unity and then be invited into it. And so if I could reduce all of this down to just one sentence, this is what it would be. Our love for each other and our unity are a compelling way to share the gospel. Our love for each other and our unity are a compelling way to share the gospel. So evangelism can take lots of different forms, right? This is not 
This is not everything. This is one example. But the strategy, it's the strategy that Jesus gave us, and it's essentially the church, right? Inside the church, this means that we're devoted to ourselves, to the members of the church body, and we have that responsibility to serve each other in love and in unity. But it's so much more than that as well. And when every member takes that seriously, it does make for a compelling community. You know, one where people can experience that sacrificial love for themselves and because of that come to know who Jesus is and what he's done for us. But that vision does go so much further beyond the church, the local church. We don't love and serve the Christians in this church solely for the benefit of those who are already in church. Right? God's plan is so much bigger than that and involves reaching out to the entire world. Right? His plan of redemption won't be completed if we're just satisfied with those who are in the church already. An inwardly focused church is an unhealthy church. It's a dying church. And, and from a biblical perspective, it's probably not a church at all. And so this picture of love and unity in the church is designed so that people would look at this community and see something completely unique and attractive. We're in this unique position to say to people, I want to show you something different, a different way of living. And so what does this mean for you? God has given you this mission to go and make disciples of all nations. You know, tell people about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for you. But you cannot fulfill that mission on your own. You, know, you cannot fulfill it unless you're first part of this church community, serving one another in love and unity. And you know, God has placed you in this church alongside other Christians, a unique group of Christians, for the purpose of proclaiming his gospel to the world. And therefore, the way you interact with people in this church matters. It matters a lot. It's going to require a lot of time and effort, but I don't think that has to be complicated. You know, It can be as simple as sharing meals together, praying together, studying the Bible together, serving alongside each other. I think that's a perfect way to start. And my experience is that that will open the door to people to both give and receive support from you. You know, it's the opportunity to lift up and encourage one another. And it becomes this picture of sacrificial love that Jesus intends for us. You know? And then the idea is to invite people into it. You know? Invite your friends who are not Christians to come and experience that for themselves. You know? Invite them to come to church. Offer to pray for them. You know, invite them to the social events that our church runs. Let them see how we interact with each other and the love that we have for each other. Don't hide it from them. You know, living together in these tight-knit circles, it comes out of church because we get to know each other so well and we do serve alongside each other, but that's, that's not our ultimate goal. That's not the end game. God has placed you in the midst of this broader community so that you can spread his love, spread his healing and his hope to all these people who haven't experienced it yet. You know, so if Jesus is right, then inviting people to witness this is one of the most compelling things that you can do to share the gospel, you know, to show people the love of God. So we need to ask ourselves, are you seeking out ways to love and serve others? You know, are you seeking after this unity that Jesus prayed for? Are you fighting for that unity? And then are you willing to open up and display that to the unbelieving world? You know? There is a reason that God 
has put you in this church at this particular time and in this location. All right? You can help this church, Horizon, right here, become that attractive community that exhibits God's love to the world. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much, Lord, for this church. I thank you so much for the people that make this place home, the people that make this a community and a family. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we become a people who overflow with that sacrificial love for one another. I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged to serve one another, to rejoice alongside each other, to suffer one al alongside one another. In your name, Lord, be it becoming that beacon of hope to an unbelieving world. And I thank you, Lord, for your prayer of unity. I pray, Lord, that you would bind us together as a people who are united in your name, that we become brothers and sisters who strive after you, Lord, united in our purpose to participate in your story. Amen.